University Seventh Day Adventist Student Movement, the Alternative National Anthem 2017, I think it was. Some heavy times in higher education in this country, certainly the after effect of fees must fall, and fees haven't really fallen because there are still some issues. A conversation for tomorrow on the hashtag student night. But today is Youth Day, and perhaps it was appropriate that we focused on the young men and women of this country who certainly on June 16. 1976 shaped forever the history and cause of history for this country. Young people as young as 13 years old were prepared to lay down their lives and they did so that they could establish themselves as a voice in this country, a critical voice at that. The response of the security apparatus was just to mow them down. We saw it in apartheid and it is sad to say And one of our listeners, Warren, in Johannesburg, pointed that out. We still see it today. It's happened before. In Marikana, it happened. It even happened during the course of Fismas Fall. We know exactly what university establishments did to try and disperse students. At times, ammunition was brought onto campus. What then do we make of the legacy of the 1976 students with the young people of today, the struggles faced by young people of today, not just, of course, in institutions of higher learning or even basic education, but generally the plight of young people in this world, particularly South Africa's world, not least because of COVID-19. A conversation then shall take place this evening and will be led by Ms. Tessa Dooms, Director of Jasora Consulting, as well as the Youth Commissioner in the National Planning Commission. This, of course, is consistent with the third installment of the Tuesday Takeover. The first such guest was Ms. Naledi Chirwa. The second last week was Ms. Demkulegotlengwe. And, of course, we have equally somebody who holds her weight in gold in this country, Ms. Tessa Dooms political think tank. She has led Youth Lab, former Mandela Washington Fellow, lectured at three South African universities, holds a master's in sociology from the University of the Witwatersrand, skilled writer, dynamic youth worker, and one of South Africa's foremost thinkers. And perhaps, if not already, she is one the country all over will be looking to for some direction when, at best, at times, young people find themselves at sea. Good evening, Tessa. How are you? Ms. Tessa Dooms. Good evening. Um, very good to be with you. Excellent to have you. Thank you so much for honoring our invitation to be our third guest or third co-host on the hashtag Tuesday Takeover. Let's have a brief conversation so that we can calm the nerves as we look forward to when you will be taking over in just about 15 minutes from now with Miss Londi Wendambo yeah, and Lindiwe Kolosa. Talk to us about... First of all, I'm interested because I got bet three times and I was like, okay, up yours, America. Mandela, Washington fellow. I tried three times. I failed. You got in. Well done. Tell us about your experience, which particular segment you were following and where you were based in the United States. Yeah. So uh, my time as a Mandela, Washington fellow was in um, 2016. I was in the public management track, uh, mostly because of my work that I did with um, both the National Planning Commission, but also work that I've been able to do with the African Union um, over the last few years. And so I was based in Minnesota, where we know um, has been the center, the mm. epicenter of the Black Lives Matter movement in the last few weeks. And actually, during the time that I was in Minnesota, um, there was a killing of a, a young man um, during that time. 
And so we actually got to engage with some of the Black Lives Matter activists as part of our Mandela Washington Fellowship Program at that time and got to really understand just how, you know, in, in South Africa, sometimes when we think about the U.S., we think about this very kind of um, almost Malay society where it's, there's, there's not um, much of it that would look very different, look very um, starkly different from one neighborhood to the next, all of that. And really, that time in the U.S. showed me how similar our issues are mm. um, in terms of how geographically you can see the differences between one racial group's um, life opportunities versus another. You can see the ways in which um, discrimination and inequality affects black communities in the U.S. And it really was, for me, an eye-opener about the fact that when we say pan-African, we're not even just talking about the continent. We are talking about the struggles of black people across the world. And um, it, was a, it was a good experience for me in many ways. It was um, good to connect with 25 other young people from other parts of the continent. Um, and I learned a lot during that time, yeah. You sure would have, and I think I really do want to sort of impress the notion that what you're saying is absolutely true. The term other side of the tracks for me, of course I'd known it in South Africa because you know exactly what happens when you cross the sort of established side of any given community and you cross the railway tracks and you find where the blue-collar workers come from. And I happen to be exposed to that in Indianola, Mississippi, where my uncle now resides. And you are absolutely correct for those who are thinking Tessa is probably being a little alarmist, if not sensational, that the American story is very similar to that of the South African story, albeit some of what we saw in America would only happen a couple of years, if not a century or so later in South Africa. But the template for the oppressive systems, the oppressive nature by which governments have kept the African-American people in the United States and the African people here in this country is very much the same. How much of that then, being a South African in the United States at that time, just, if you like, gave you the necessary impetus to go on and forge ahead with the kind of work that you do for the purposes, ultimately, human dignity and the emancipation, true emancipation of the African child, especially the girl child. Yeah, I mean, that work, but combined with, with a long-standing history of doing work um, in youth development in South Africa has been a driving force for me. And, um, I mean, I grew up in Eldorado Park, which is an area that is um, unfortunately got a stigma and a, a notoriousness around things like violence and crime and all sorts of things. And my experience growing up in Eldorado Park was that of a, a young youth worker and somebody who, um, from the time that I was young, um, was engaged with my community and engaged with what issues there were in the community. But never in my in my life did I think that those experiences of just being kind of a, a young person engaged would turn into a career and would turn into the ability to think through these issues at the national scale, um, at the continental scale, and at a global scale. And when you, when you start engaging, you're seeing that so many people are having to do the same kinds of work across communities. I started to ask myself, um, yes, it's important to be working in the community and on the ground and plugging the holes, you know, that we see in our communities and making sure that the children are fed that need to be fed and the people who are um, abusing drugs are helped. And, and that's important work. But I had to start asking myself, um, can I take a step back and start being somebody who's also building new walls, you know, not just plugging the hole in the wall? but starting to look at what's the systemic reasons for these things. What are the systemic tools that we can use to change our societies and rebuild them? 
you know, from the bottom up. And as much as I, I, I enjoy activism that's direct and in communities, I more and more have come to appreciate um, the role that policy and advocacy and um, systemic change can bring into people's lives. And I'm hoping that we're going to be able to get there as a country with more and more people being able to enter into places where they can make broader changes and, and change you know, entire communities, not just one life at a time. Specifically on that, then, how important is the voice of those persons, the program for which you would be advocating or policy over which you'd be writing in relation to a given community, the voices of those persons who ultimately would be subject to that advocacy or policy to be contemplated at all times, not just as a subject, rather as a partner and a critical partner at that for the fortunes of that given community to change or to better? It is absolutely critical. Um, so I always say to people, um, well, at least in the last few years, I've said to people, I'm no longer youth, right? I'm 36 years old. I am no longer youth. But I've even argued before I was 35, before I was 36, that um, at some point I moved from being a young person who was advocating to being a youth um, advocate and a youth worker that was creating space for young people. And I'm trying to be the kind of person who is a bridge for young people to get into the spaces that they need to and to make space for young people to participate. There is, there is so much value in seeing people as the, the, the source of the solution, you know, not problematizing. And so for young people particularly, I work a lot with young people, and we've often seen young people as the problem. And um, my work is to say young people are not problems. They're not even only beneficiaries, but they are also the partners for African change and development. And more importantly, they have to be the leaders. I look forward to the day that I am led by young people, not just somebody who's trying to help a young person out. And that's part of the role is creating space for those voices. Questions, calls, comments for the co-host on the Tuesday Takeover, Ms. Tessa Dooms. She's the director of Jasoda Consulting, who are a newly established development consultancy that provides organizations with services on policy, program, and organizational strategies towards the development of Africa broadly. She's also a board member of Gachiso Trust. She's a National Planning Commission member, particularly the Youth Commissioner thereof. She's a Mandela Washington Fellow. She's an academic, master's in sociology from the University of the Vatas Rand for another 10 minutes or so questions and calls to her before she takes over the show with her surprise package right after this. SAFM leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songhez on SAFM. Hashtag Tuesday Takeover guest profile, Ms. Tessa Dooms. She's on the line now, and in just a little over 10 minutes, she will have her show, essentially, and I will just piggyback on her where she guides our guests in terms of the conversations that are necessary on a day like this. It is the 16th of June, 2020, 1976. It was where the young people of this country changed the course of South Africa's history forever. And might one say that of the world, because when you see movements like Black Lives Matter and how young people have started revolutions, think of the young person in Tunisia who set oneself alight. So starting what has since been referred to as the Arab Spring, I would hate to think that perhaps that day for South Africa is near. But from what you can tell, Tessa, from your experiences here in the country abroad, when you hear young people and the struggles the world over, is it far-fetched to think 
that a South African Arab Spring, where, if you like, a scorched earth policy type response to the ineptitude across the board is far-fetched, is not so far from now? What are your thoughts on that? You know, um, I think our Arab Spring started a long time ago. Um, I think we've had one of those very slow burn Arab Springs as opposed to, you know, everybody's at a square um, all at once. And I say that because, um, you know, in the early 2000s, it was almost as if protest and community activism had started to fizzle out in our country. And um, I think probably the TAC and the HIV movement started to kind of ignite that again. But since then, we've steadily seen communities are starting to find voice again. And so often in, in the work that I've done um, with young people, I find that it's the young people who are starting that activism, who are the ones who want to know who their ward councillors are and where things are at, and who understand their communities and who have the list of people who are indigent in their communities and who ultimately are trusted by their communities to lead them in a cause, to lead them in protest. We are one of the countries um, on this continent that protest more than any other. We really do. We have a strong culture of participation. And so I often um, I, I get confused when people say young people in this country are apathetic. I, I don't find that to be true at all. And we, we point at Fees Must Fall because it was this kind of mass moment and it was very visible to see. But the fallists were only a, a second or third wave of young activists in this country. We've seen um, young women in the gender activism space also claiming space and taking up space and having a voice. We've seen it in communities with service delivery protests. Um, We've seen it in so many different ways, and I think we're not paying attention enough. We're not seeing the bigger picture, and we're not realizing that that restlessness has already started. And we, we, we don't want to get to the point where the country is burning. But I think there are a lot of small fires already, and those fires can either be turned into kind of um, opportunities for, you know, real progress and for real growth and for us to have a vibrant democracy, or they will slowly just combust and we won't be uh, a country on fire. Well, you are on the National Youth Planning Commission. To the extent that you speak as you just have, what is then the response of those who are two, three generations ahead of you? When you talk about June 16 with these persons, when you talk about the challenges that persons even half your age are are facing, and they are obviously, what, five, six, seven times the age of the person whose interest you are representing, are they responsive? Do they even accept that those challenges are real? When they respond to, do they respond just to tick the box as, okay, we've responded to Tessa, or are there genuine concerns, interests, and more movements in response to the youth agenda in this country? You're sitting on the National Planning Commission. That must be some space where you can really address the concerns of young people. Are those concerns then given the light of day with those who are effectively decision makers? Yeah, listen, it's taking time. Hey, um, I won't lie. So um, maybe just... uh a brief kind of anecdote and then a, a substantive response to that. That would be great. When I came into the Planning Commission, the average age of the commission was 55 years old. So coming in there as a 30-something, um, and I was just around 30 years old when I joined the Planning Commission, um, I, I had to break, break down a lot of barriers around young people's ability to speak and be l- listened to, to the point where I had to say, firstly, I'm your colleague. I'm not a child in this context. So I might be your child's age, 
but I'm a colleague in this context and you need to hear me as a youth expert. And also just things like, you know, the president, and at that time was Jacob Zuma, I said, the president to me is not Ubaba. He's not my father. He is the president and he's accountable. And my job is to bring young people's voices to this platform and hold him accountable. And that just already was a shake-up that I think was necessary. And I often tell young people, when you go into spaces, don't go there as the young person and feel like you need to um, beg for the space. Go in there as an expert on youth. You are a young person. You are an expert on youth experiences. Go in there with that kind of confidence. And I think it was that approach that made my colleagues take me seriously, that made it get to the point where the same colleagues who were dismissive at first are the ones picking up the phone saying, hey, we're having a discussion on, on water and sanitation. Um, do you have young people that can come into this discussion and, and give us a perspective? Or we're talking about township economies. Come with us so that we can engage with youth. And I think it's about young people really just saying we're not going to take no for an answer and we're not going to be different just for the sake of it. We're going to say we have something to contribute, something of value to give. Mm. And if you give value, you will get respect. I could talk to you about some of these issues forever. And I would imagine, just as a final parting shot, that your experience is not unique to Tessa. It's the experience, by and large, of young people. And in particular, I would even dare say, not that I've experienced it because I can never experience it by virtue of being a male, but it's especially nuanced experience for being a female in that space because people at times think they might take certain liberties which they wouldn't to anybody else who was either older or of a different gender. Yeah, um, being a woman is definitely an additional layer. Um, and I, I have three layers that I need to contend with. I'm a, I'm a woman, I'm black, and I'm colored, which is an interesting thing. Because saying I'm black and I'm colored means that I understand that politically, in the broader scheme of things, I, I identify as black as part of the broader black experience. But I also have this ethnic identity of being colored, which means that people also think, have preconceived ideas of how I'm going to act or who I should be and all of that. If you add on top of that that I'm a woman and that people have expectations of me socially in terms of how I behave, people have expectations of me in terms of my voice and, you know, how I might present that. I've loved um, the spaces that I've been in, like the Planning Commission, um, like um, the board of Cajiso, where the women who I've encountered in those spaces have made their, their voices heard and have claimed space, and not because they've pushed back and said we're going to be manly, um, but because they presented who they are after they presented their expertise and what they bring onto the table. And again, um, that's been the most important lesson for me, is that I remind people that I am more than my various identities. I'm also a contributor, and I'm not going to be limited um, by you thinking of me and seeing me as colored or black or a woman. And those limitations are just not something I'm going to choose to accept. She's colored, she's black, she's a woman, she's a contributor, and now her latest title is she's a co-host on SAFM Viewpoint <laughs> on this, the Tuesday Takeover with me, Songa Zomabekwe. Tell us about your guests then, Tessa, who are Londiwe so, Ndambo um, and Lindiwe Kolosa. So Londiwe and Lindiwe, not to be um, confused with each other. Mm. Um, Londiwe is a young woman I met a few years ago who is an academic at heart, um, she studies issues around feminism. She studies issues around African identity. She is an education activist. She's a gender activist. She's a youth activist. 
And um, the, the thing about Londiwe that I thought was important for us to introduce viewers to is that I think she has a, a perspective around what it means to be African and what it means to be black and what it means to be a woman um, that we need to hear. Fantastic. And um, complexities with that. And then Lindy Ware is a young woman I've um, recent, more recently met, and she is from um, Soweto. And Lindy Ware is a creative. She's an artist. She's an author. Um, she's a mother. And she's also an entrepreneur. And I think young women um, like Lindy Ware um, are often not given um, enough of a voice or, or allowed to speak um, as often as we should. And so I wanted to bring them into a conversation around youth development because I believe they have something important to say. Fantastic. Well, after the break, it will be Ms. Tessa Dooms, who is the co-host of this evening on Hashtag Tuesday Takeover. Do give us your tweets, please send messages, send our WhatsApp facility is available. Do give us a call as well. 891 That's the number to dial voice notes. 0614-104-107. Less of me and more of Tessa. But after this.